Well, good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started. We may be getting started 30 seconds early. I can't tell. My, my watch is too fast. That clock has been acting up. We're glad to have you here tonight. We have a number of people who are not with us, uh, either traveling, a number of people in the parking lot uh, this evening, and we're thankful that uh, they're here, uh, that you're here and a part of this. Um, if you have questions or comments and you're in the parking lot, I would say you could text them to me, but I don't have my phone on me. But let me know. We'll make sure that we uh, communicate that next Wednesday evening for our study, Lord willing. Uh, and to those of you watching from home, either on your computer or on your device, on our website, thank you for tuning in as well. Thanks for everybody who's here in the auditorium tonight. If you want to open to Genesis 27, we are going to be looking at 27, 28, 29, and half of chapter 30. We're only going to look at the first half of chapter 30 tonight, unless we just have a significant amount of time, which I doubt that we will. We never do. We always run out of time. Glad to have visitors with us tonight, both in the parking lot and here in the auditorium. Those of you who are traveling to see your families over the course of the next couple days. Let's go ahead and take a moment and we'll pray together and then we'll get into Genesis 27. Father God, thank you for the love that you have for us, for the kindness that you've shown us and for the grace that you've bestowed on us. As we study from your word tonight, help us to learn from the examples of Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah and Rachel and all the different characters that we're going to focus on. Help us to use this study to enhance our knowledge of your word, but to use that knowledge then to build our own faith and to use that as an opportunity to teach others about the grace that you've bestowed on us. We are mindful of many people in this congregation and in other places that are suffering right now physically that are struggling financially, that are having difficulties in a lot of different ways. And we pray your blessings on all of them and help us to be ambassadors for good and ambassadors for your son in the way that we live and conduct ourselves. Bless us in our time together. We pray especially that you'll be with the children's classes and the younger people's classes. Bless their teachers, bless the students, and bless each of us as we try to do what is right. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we finished up in chapter 26, uh, and we revisited the whole uh, man and Abimelech concept, Isaac and Abimelech, and we talked about the similarities and some of the differences between Isaac and Abimelech and Abraham and Abimelech as well. We're going to pick up here in chapter 27 where Isaac is now very old, and so we're moving fairly rapidly through the book of Genesis, both in terms of our own study, October, November, December, but also in terms of the nature of how these characters are progressing as we push towards the sons of Jacob. And then, as you know, the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis, give or take, is almost exclusively reserved for one character, when we get 37, 38, 39, then on into 50, it's almost all about Joseph and his brothers. So tonight we're going to start in chapter 27, uh, and we are going to start with Isaac blessing Esau, contrary to God's plan, versus Isaac blessing Jacob. Um, I want to go back to chapter 25 just as a reminder that this was actually a part of the original 
plan uh, when, um, when Rebecca was pregnant. And it says in verse 23, two nations are in your womb, two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So this is something that is set in stone. When God says, this is what we're going to do, this is what I'm going to do, it's set in stone. That's a part of his plan. And nobody, not even Isaac, has the capacity or the ability to change that, as was the case here. So I want to, we might read a little bit more tonight than what we normally read. That's in part because we're cutting off half of a chapter. But there's some places in the text that I really want us to appreciate. Um, verse 2, he says, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. Make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Then as a kind of shadow backwards in verse 5 to the listening that her mother-in-law had done, it says that Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. Notice that it says Esau, his son. Remember that they had their favorites that one favored Esau, that being Isaac, and that Rebekah favored uh, or had favor doted on Jacob. And so it says in verse 6 that Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I have heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game, make savory food, I will bless you. Now, therefore, verse 8, obey my voice according to what I command you. So one question, and again, a lot of the times I ask questions just to make us think. Sometimes I ask questions because I wondered those things myself, but was he, Isaac, trying to secretly do this? Um, maybe either he was or he was not. The point that I'm making is simply this. We know, well, we conclude that Isaac would have been privy to the information back in chapter 25, 23, and 24, that that wasn't just recorded for Rebecca, but Isaac would have been familiar with that as well. So was Isaac taking on a role here where he says, you know what, um, I know that the younger is going to serve the older, I'm sorry, I, mean, I know that the older is going to serve the younger, I know that the blessing is going to go, and the birthright is going to go to to Jacob instead of Esau, but I'm going to step in and do my own thing. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But that was one of the interesting things that I thought that we would bring up as well on this particular occasion. Uh, as we said there in verse 5, Rebecca was listening. Now, so now we look at Rebecca. She has this plan. So her plan is, verse 9, go down to the flock and bring me from there two choice goats or kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. You will take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. Jacob then begins to not protest, but say, wait a minute, this isn't going to work because I'm, I'm a smooth-skinned individual, but Esau is a hairy individual. He's going to smell me and know that I do not smell like a man of the field, like a hunter. And so she says, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do all these different things. We'll dress you in his clothes. We'll put uh, hair on you to make it seem like you 
are him. And of course, uh, anybody that has two sons, uh, sometimes if, uh, if Stephen's on the phone, I'm thinking, is that Joshua? Or if Joshua's on the phone, I'm thinking, is that Stephen? You know that children can sound alike, uh, if they're, especially if they're both genders. And so uh, Jacob and Esau may have very well sounded like one another, such that someone whose eyes were dim or who was almost blind may struggle to know who was actually talking on that particular occasion. But that then brings us to Rebecca. Was Rebecca doing something that was inappropriate here, or was Rebecca protecting God's plan, or was she being equally secretive? I, I, and I don't. You could look at it from a couple of different vantage points. You would look at it as if, well, the whole favoritism thing that you had going on from the very beginning was a problem, and that's going to to land yourself in a in a whole lot of hot water. But you could look at it from the perspective that Rebecca here is saying, you know what? Genesis chapter 25, 23, that I'm very familiar with, Rebecca says, tells me that the older is going to serve the younger and that their roles are going to get crossed or get reversed. Maybe that's what's going on here as well. Regardless of what we know and in large part what we do not know, the one thing that we can be absolutely assured of, and then we'll get to David Toronto over here in a second, if David Creech, you want to make your way over to David Toronto, is that God's plan is going to be executed. There's no way that God is going to, pre, uh, to pre be preempted. Someone's not going to be successful in saying, well, here's God's plan, and I'm going to interrupt it with my plan. That's never going to happen. Uh, Brother Toronto. Just a quick question. Were any of the parents privy to what happened between them the meal and the birthright? Um, so the question is to repeat, and that's a good one. Uh, did, the, did Isaac and, let me understand your question quickly. Did Isaac and Rebecca, did they know what had happened with the switcheroo with the birthright, where Esau sold it for the pottage of stew? Hmm. Thoughts on that? Uh, Brother Gerald. Um, because that, that does not necessarily change any of the big dynamics here, but it does add, shed some light on it. Yeah, Gerald? Well, the birthright was different than, than the blessing. Correct. So, you know, this was something separate from that. The, the birthright had to do with, uh, you know, what they were being inherited, physical good. Right. And so they would divide, divide it in three ways, and then the older would have gotten two-thirds. Yeah. And so this is different. So I don't know if you that's a, good, that's a good point. And remember that, that, and I appreciate what Gerald pointed out. I didn't put it in the slides, but as I was preparing for this a few days ago or last week whenever I was looking at this, um, yeah, the birthright is the more traditional inheritance, the money, who gets what goats and what cows, right, uh, back then. Whereas the blessing is more of through whom is the seed going to come. Remember we talked about the seed and salvation, the stories, the three S's in our study of Genesis. That's my understanding of the blessing is the idea of who's going to be the one that's going to be the, um, the, the, the lead family going forward. And it's not, that I, it's not that Esau's family was going to be small. We know that it's going to be a major kingdom, but it's going to be a thorn in the side of, um, of Israel. Other thoughts on that? So I... I I hate to say what I lean towards because I'm not sure that I lean towards one, but it's a very good question. Um, okay. Um, 
Just real quickly here, we are familiar with this, and sometimes I talk about what our six-year-olds know because our six-year-olds are very smart because they have very good Bible class teachers. They have very good parents, primarily, who are educating them. Uh, I remember one of the first classes that Wendy taught, by the way. I give you a thumbs up to the parents here. One of the first classes that Wendy taught to the younger people, she said, these kids know their stuff. <laughs> and uh, that's something that was... Uh, attributed to parents working hard to teach them, and which is a very good thing. But our six and seven-year-olds could tell us this little part, the idea of Esau's clothing, the goat skins, and prepared food. Um, how in the world did all this happen as quickly as it did? Apparently, God is in control, and God's plan is going to transpire. Okay, also in Genesis 27, as we get to the, the last half of Genesis 27, let's talk about, the, oh, you know what? I did put it in the slide, so I'm glad I did. I don't even remember what I write half the time anymore. So I, I, it's like my mind's doing one thing, my hand's doing another. And, and when you get old like me, things fall apart. <laughs> and your brain doesn't work. Uh, let's talk about the blessing for just a moment or so. Uh, let's look at 28. Uh, 27, he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. It's interesting. I wonder what that smell was. Um, that I, I don't know that it was aromatic in a pleasant sense, but it was pleasing to Isaac because Isaac favored that kind of uh, non-tent dweller. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be those who bless you. So I did put up there that the first aspect of the blessing, or particularly the birthright, was uh, the, he gets physical blessings uh, he's also going to get what we might, what I call, just to stick with uh, peace, political blessings, a nation that's going to follow. And of course, uh, ultimately, the seed will come not through Edom, not through Esau, uh, but will come through Jacob, will come through Israel by way of Judah, as we'll talk about a little bit tonight, I think. Um, the question that, again, I'm posing just as a way of thinking is, is Isaac knowingly trying to thwart God's will or his wishes? And part of that goes back to David Toronto's point as to 1974. Who knew what and who knew what when, right? It, some of you don't know what that means, 1974. But a few of you caught the 1974 reference in the impeachment trial of President Nixon. So what did the president know and what did the president know? Right? Too young for that. Even I'm old enough to remember that. I don't remember. I remember from history. But, okay. Uh, verse 40. We're on a roll here. Verse 40. Let's go to verse 39. Isaac, his father, answered and said, And behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword, this is speaking to Esau after Esau has found out about all this having transpired. By your sword you shall live, you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So I put that up there in that Esau is clearly going to be the one who serves Jacob. And then over the next few verses, uh, how does Esau react? Just in a word or two. 
Hatred. I heard the word hatred, anger, wrath. I mean, all those words would be appropriate. So let's read uh, 41. In fact, verse 41 in the New King James uses the word hatred or hated. But let's pick up in verse 42. The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. I think that's an interesting statement. He comforts himself by, by planning to kill you. Um, every sibling has had his or her um, arguments with a fellow sibling. But most of us, and I had, there are five of us, me and four older siblings, we never really considered killing each other. We may have thought about it at a point in time, but we never actually did it. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So Rebekah protects Jacob here. Anything else in chapter 27? I know that we went through it rather quickly, but I wanted us to get to 28, 29, and 30. All right, good questions, good comments thus far. Chapter 28 uh, is a simple 22-verse chapter that we want to talk about for just a, a moment or two. Uh, what I would call a purposeful blessing from the Lord. Let's read verses 3 through 5. May God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, an Assyrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Um, if you're reading that, you're thinking, that sounds a little bit familiar. I've read this kind of thing before. It is what I would call reminiscent of the first three verses of chapter 12. Not the same things that are being said, but it's a continuation of chapter 12. Remember we talked about 12, 15, 17, where you have that covenant or promise or series of promises with Abraham that now are being uh, sent through Isaac, now are being sent through Jacob as Jacob is being blessed in a similar way. Then there's an interesting, at least I, I think it's interesting, that verse 6 through 10, I think it's through 10, through 9-ish, um, takes a uh, short kind of detour and just says, let's talk about Esau for just a second. Even though Esau really isn't the, the focus of the story here, because when you get to the latter part of chapter 28, it's all about Jacob. In fact, most of the rest of the story about Jacob and Esau is almost exclusively about Jacob. But here you have Esau trying to please his parents. What is it that Esau had done in our class last week that had brought them grief? His marriages, right? He had married ites, right? He married the outsiders rather than someone of his own people. And that brought great grief to them. So here's what he does. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Jacob had obeyed his father and mother. Verse 8, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father. Esau went to Ishmael uh, and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, 
to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. I'm not sure, I mean, there's a debate, I suppose you could discuss, is he really improving on things here? Is he making, is he making matters worse? Is he making matters better? Or should he just, I, I don't know, you could say he's doing a couple different things here. But it is interesting that Esau's trying to please Isaac and Rebekah here. And then chapter 28 is best known, and including best known in the non-religious world for the ladder or the stairway uh, dream that Jacob has. Uh, it says here in verse 11, uh, he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. He laid down in that place to sleep. Jacob dreamed, verse 12, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. So Jacob has a dream. And it involves this ladder or this stairway, depending on the version you're reading from, and little footnotes that say, well, it's more of a stairway than it is a ladder, uh, is this uh, ascending to heaven. What are the angels doing? They're going up, they're going down. They're going up, they're going down. They're ascending and they are descending. Um, and for the first time, the book of Genesis is a book of firsts, this is the first time where Jacob receives, at least recorded, the direct blessing that comes from God. Here's the good things that are going to happen in your life, and I'm going to give you this land that's going to transpire. Uh, anything else on chapter 28? I know we went through that relatively quickly. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and spend two slides on chapter 29. Uh, chapter 29 is a classic chapter. Uh, in that it is, uh, I, I don't know what the adjective is. It's just interesting, right? There are some interesting chapters in Genesis, and this is certainly one of them. And Jacob here meets a girl by the name of Rachel. Um, let's go to chapter 29. Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. He looked and saw well in the field and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. I'm told by people that studied the history that this would have been a, a large well with a large stone to protect it, to prevent evaporation, all those kinds of things. And that when you move that stone, you typically want to have help in doing so. Otherwise, you throw out your back. So you got to have some help or assistance moving that stone so that the flocks can come in. So this is, this is not a traditional well that's, you know, yay big, three or four feet wide. But this is something that is probably a whole lot bigger with a very heavy stone over it. Um, they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. Verse 3, Jacob said, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he says, well, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Which is interesting because um, what was funny growing up in Indiana and then moving to California, California has 30, 35 million people, is um, people from Indiana shortly after I moved said, well, do you know so-and-so? California's got 30-something million people, and I don't know these people. And they all thought we knew movie stars. 
which was true. I mean, I knew myself. Um, but uh, just kind of funny how that works. But this is God's plan in action. We've used the word providence a couple times um, in Genesis, and we see where providence is happening here, where God is providing. And it just so happens to meet these people who know Laban, and they say, yes, we know him. He has this, he says, oh, wonderful, is he well? And they said, he is well. Look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep, go and feed them. Um, verse 9, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, this, this verse, I never noticed verse 10, a little detail here until recently. Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth of water the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. I don't, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but back in verse 3, the pronoun was they would roll the stone from the well's mouth. Now Jacob rolls it. It's almost like Rachel's here. I, I roll stone. <laughs> I, I make water for a sheep. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. But Jacob was certainly very excited about Rachel. And uh, in fact, verse 11, this is what happens the first time you meet uh, a woman. You kiss her and you weep. Um, obviously, that's not... Well, I could be taking a couple different ways. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I might as well just quit before I... <laughs> I'm not thinking straight. <laughs> Foot's talking. Um, Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice, and wept. So apparently, this is, this is not a romantic gesture. It's more of just, I'm seeing my family, someone that is a distant relative. And when you haven't seen your family for some time... You've gone through the virus. You've gone through quarantine. You, know, you see your family again. You're excited about that kind of thing. And that seems to be kind of what's happening here. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, relative and that he was Rebecca's son. So she ran and told her father. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I wanted to just bring it up again. That as you read through the next, oh, five to eight verses, Laban is excited. And I put parentheses why. There's a couple different ways of looking at Laban's excitement. One is, is he's just excited about seeing a relative, and there's probably some truth to that. The other is, is we shaded his character just a little bit last week with a potential view of his greed or of a love of money. In fact, the text said in, in our study last week back in chapter 25, I think it was, that when Laban saw uh, the gold... Um, it didn't say he got excited, but that's, that's the point that we were making about that particular text here. Um, verse 15, Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Um, anybody have a thought on, or maybe you have a footnote in your Bible or you've studied that before, but Laban asks for a price. My understanding is that is relatively common in ancient culture. But anybody have a, a study of that that you've done? I, the only thing I've come across is that that's fairly common. Um, either you provide a dowry, you have a dowry, or you pay the wages and, and wages in terms of labor for the person that you are seeking to um, marry. Anybody have anything you come across on that? 
Just kind of curious. Okay, that's what I've come across as well. Um, not nothing, I came across what I told you. Um, so, Laban asked for a price. Here we are introduced to the sister of Rachel, whose name is Leah. Everyone knows that, right? So we have Rachel and we have Leah. Or we have Leah and Rachel. Typically, we say Leah and Rachel because we name the older one before the younger one, typically. Um, what does Rachel's name translate to? Or not translate to, but what is its significance? We'll give bonus points to the person that gets this one. I'll give you a hint. It's it, partly because she was a shepherdess, but her name uh, is the idea of translated as a, a sheep or a ewe, e, E-W-E, like a ewe lamb, right? So docile, pleasant, cute, fluffy, and uh, why don't... <laughs> That was, I was trying to be funny there. Um, no, just nice, beautiful. And, um, uh, and Rachel was, apparently, based on everything we can read, she was stunning in appearance. In fact, in verse 17, it says, Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. And someone wrote that the very thing that parents tell their sons, don't go looking for as your number one priority is the one thing that he picks up on the first. Wow, she is beautiful of form and appearance. And as we're going to talk about this week and maybe a little bit next week, um, when you look at Rachel's character, you could question uh, her, certainly her godliness, her holiness, and so maybe she was more uh, form than she was substance in terms of, you know, so she had the looks, but she didn't have the spiritual integrity that you would want in someone. You can make that argument. Uh, Leah's name means, I mentioned this three weeks ago. Say again. Has to do with her eyes. It says her eyes were delicate. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So Rachel is the ewe lamb. Leah is, is a cow, uh, is literally where the name comes from. And I, again, I mentioned this three weeks so I'm comfortable with that. I have a sister named Leah. She's very good looking. So we have, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, but it is interesting that there's different ways of reading, what is that, verse 20? Or, I'm sorry, verse 17. Her eyes were delicate. Uh, some versions say her eyes were weak. She had weak eyes. Maybe that was a way of saying that she literally couldn't see very well. Um, uh, I, I don't know what that may have meant. Some have said it's a kind way of saying, remember, remember uh, in, when uh, Gomer was with Mary Grace and they said, she good looking? So she's nice, she's real nice. Some of you have never seen Andy Griffith's show, and for that reason, we're going to ask you to leave. Um, but that's one of the episodes. Uh, she's nice. She, Lee's nice. Uh, maybe there's something there. Either way, Rachel was, was the stunning, beautiful one that stood out. And we know that in that culture, uh, and Laban is going to use this to his advantage, as we're going to talk about here in the next 120 seconds, that the older is promised away before the younger. That's what he talks about as well. So we talk about their names a little bit and their meanings. 
And the phrase that is used here is that Jacob loved Rachel. Uh, never says that Jacob loved Leah, even though there is this great switcheroo that transpires. So let's talk about the switch for a second. Let's read verse 21. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast that came to pass. And even he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob says to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban goes on to say it is not our custom to do that. Um, are there other reasons that Laban did this um, besides the culture? The Bible doesn't say. Um, do we take everything that Laban says at full face value? I'm not sure that I do in my reading of Laban. I don't want to be too hard on him, but the guy does seem to be opportunistic on some occasions, and it seems like he's going to now, because how long had Jacob worked in order to get Rachel and get Leah. How long he worked? Total of 14 years, right? Seven plus the seven, making the 14 that he's going to end up working for him. Um, uh, interestingly enough, remember, Jacob had deceived Isaac. Now Laban deceives Jacob. We use the phrase, what comes around. What goes around comes around, right? Yeah, what goes around comes around. Um, you know, there may be a little bit of uh, irony to this that is transpiring. And uh, before that, you have Abraham being deceitful with uh, his wife and who she was in relation to him with Abimelech. So you have a lot of deception that has kind of bled through the story here and it kind of keeps picking up in this particular account. Um one of the questions that comes up frequently, at least, I mean, and, I mean, I don't think about it as much now as I did when I was younger, but I was like, how did he not know? Um, but someone points pointed out that they are sisters, that they're probably veiled, uh, it's the dark of night, um, that it's not a wedding ceremony with a lot of fluorescent lights, right, <laughs> in a big uh, venue. Uh, it's a rather quick wedding kind of thing. And that he wouldn't know until the next day. Any thoughts on that um, before we move on to the last part of chapter 29? Any questions or comments that we've got? Okay, we've got nine minutes left here, which is enough to get through what we want to get through here. Um, Jacob becomes a father. Who is the first woman to have a child? Leah. Leah, Leah has a child, and her first child is uh, the name of? Reuben. We'll talk about him as well as Simeon, Levi, and Judah, the first four children in just a second or two. I've got a chart for you to look at here in, in just a moment or two. Um, Leah gives birth to the first four children. Uh, while all of this is happening against that backdrop in the latter part of 29 and then into 30, what is the status of Rachel, at least in the, at the early part of this story? She's barren. So here we go back to the barren thing again. So Sarah was barren. Uh, Rebecca was blessed. Um, it seems in a way that even Sarah wasn't. And now you have uh, Rachel who is barren. 
and she's upset about that kind of thing. Uh, and we talked about that before. Note, if you would, Jacob's reaction. I thought that this was interesting. Uh, verse 1, Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. She envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Now, you can look at that in a couple different ways. You could look at that as being, well, I might as well be dead because if I'm a female and I don't have children in this era, I might as well not even have been born. Verse 2, Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. So it is never said that Jacob loved Leah, and, but that Jacob loved Rachel. And here, Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. Says, Am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? thought that was interesting to think about his reaction for just a moment. And then this is beyond the scope of our study. I've got a whole set of thoughts, uh, and there's uh, something I was thinking about and reading and studying a couple of days ago on this subject, that you could make the argument that while Rachel was the favorite, Leah has the more God-oriented spiritually minded way of looking at things as compared to her sister Rachel. More on that in just a second. Uh, who ends up having children after Leah? I mean, and before you get to Rachel having the two children. You have the maid Bilhah and then you have the maid Zilpah. So there's this hey, we've got children now we've got children, now we've got children, I mean, just back and forth, and having a total of the 12 sons and then one daughter, as we'll talk about next week, the week after. Uh, then Leah bears two more, and Rachel then finally bears two children. Uh, remembering the first four, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, is generally pretty easy. Uh, remembering the last two, Joseph and Benjamin, are pretty easy. It's the six in between where my eyes kind of glass over, and I'm like, I got to really focus on my Gads and Naphtali's and Zebulun's and those guys. Um, but that being said, I don't know if you'll be able to see. Yeah, it's pretty big. You can see that. Um, those of you that are in the parking lot, I'm showing a chart, and if you remind me, I will email this to you. Um, on the left side are the names of the 12 children in the order in which they are either born or, or, or spoke about, it seems to be their birth order, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and then Benjamin, or Ben-Oni. Um, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we don't get to that story until a little bit later in the Genesis text. Uh, on the right side, the very far right column, is either the mother, well, it is the birth mother, and then to whom that maid belongs. So Bilhah belongs to Rachel, Zilpah belongs to Leah, right? Look, if you would, at the first four children. Look a son, the Lord has looked, the Lord heard, attached, or praised the Lord. So when Leah and Jacob were having children, they were naming them giving honor, it seems, to God. Praise to God, honor to God, attachment to God. Then Dan is born and Naphtali is born. Rachel's children, even though they are from Bilhah, God is judged and a wrestling or a struggle within. 
Then when Leah gets to name children again as part of the team with Jacob, it's back to fortune, happy, reward, God giving me. And then Joseph, remember when he is born, may God give me more. How would you like to be named the kid? I'm not, you're not, I'm not satisfied with you enough. I want someone more. <laughs> and then um, Rachel does not have a role really in naming the final child. Why? She died, right? She died in childbirth. And so the name given to him is Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. So how'd you like to be uh, Benjamin or Ben-Oni and your name means you brought me sorrow and sorrow you have brought me to this place in my life. No wonder why Ben-Oni's name is changed to Benjamin, which means son of what? Son of right hand, like a right hand son. So you want to make your brothers angry? Um, name it that way. But all the, all the focus goes to, to Joseph here. Um, See, I think I, okay, yeah. So we'll go back here. Um, thoughts on that in our final three or four minutes here before we close out with a couple of applications. I didn't put the applications on the screen, but I've got three that I wanted us to come up with here uh, very quickly here. One is that deceit almost, well, not almost always, deceit always causes a problem. And when we try to deceive others, when we try to deceive God, I'm not talking about like a, uh, a, a, a talebearer uh, keeping a secret is a wise thing to do. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But I'm talking about when you're trying to deceive someone, you're trying to trick someone, you're trying to lie, uh, it always brings about problems. That was certainly the case for these people. And, and what goes around comes around with these people being deceived. Um, we didn't talk too much about this, but with the angels ascending and descending the ladder, uh, it was a clear indication that God is going to, it's, it's like God is having, I'm going to use the word communion, uh, and I don't mean that in the, in the way that we 90% of the time use that phrase, but the word communion is the same word as, as fellowship. The two words go hand in hand with each other. But obviously Jacob had a relationship with God that was special. And we have a relationship with God that is special as well. That's the second thing. And then the third thing um, is just to remember that, um, and this is true for those of you who are younger, it's true for those of us who are older and married, is that their uh, you know, looks are important, but they're not the only thing that matter. And again, you kind of go back to this uh, dichotomy of Rachel versus Leah and you can make the argument and that Leah seems to have a little bit more spiritual depth than does Rachel. And when we get into the whole who steals the idols and sticks them under the saddle, that's Rachel. You know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Anything else in our final 30 seconds or so? All right. Thank you all very, very much. Next week... Um, let me just say this. Chapter 30 uh, is kind of an interesting chapter in that the first uh, 24 verses is a continuation of 29. The last half of the chapter 30 we're going to deal with next week, Lord willing, as, as well as uh, Jacob going 
and fleeing from Laban. So we'll put all that together. So we're not skipping the last half of chapter 30. We're just discussing it next week, Lord willing. All right, thank you all.